want to um, share a testimony, actually. Adonis, can I put you on the spot, man? Come on up. I want you to um, share just a little bit about just what you saw last week. I just got this email um, yesterday, and I thought this was powerful. You hear me pray, or, and, and many of us pray, that God would release uh, angels in the realm of the angelic, and that we would actually move into this place. He, how's it going? He grabbed that mic right there. And I was just reminded of that as I was just sitting there, and I just want you to share, um, you know, what it was you saw and everything. Just explain it, because I'm interested personally, too. I haven't talked to him yet about this. just got this email. Well, I was sitting in the media department in the back last week where I was just sitting, and as I was sitting here, I was just messing around with the recording stuff, and I happened to look up above here, and I just had a visual of an angel, and the angel said, I'm ready to release healing. And you saw, did you see it out in front of you, or was it in your mind's eye? Uh-huh. Yeah. So in your mind's eye. Right. Yeah. And it said, I'm ready to release healing. And so what did it look like exactly? Well, it wasn't really clear. It was actually just like, it was really large across the back area here. So it Big angels is good. <laughs> yeah, but I couldn't really make out exactly what it looked like. It was just really clear um, to me that it was an angel, but I couldn't see a face. Yeah. And it said, I'm ready to release healing. Yeah. And as soon as it said that, like 10 seconds later, you, call, you called for, you know, some, some uh, words of knowledge. Words of knowledge started forward. coming after that, and people started getting healed. And that's powerful. Yeah. And did, did, just curious, for my own personal, did, did, was, did he have a particular color about him? Not really. It was just, actually, it was just clear. Just it was clear. Yeah, it was clear. It didn't have any colors or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So... Very cool. All right. I just yeah. wanted you to share that. I think it's exciting. <laughs> All right. Two, three. Yeah, there we go. Thank you for sharing that, and, don't, and thanks for letting me put you on the spot. Well, the thing that I like about it is the, uh, how it worked in conjunction with the words of knowledge that begin to come forth. You know, he sees the, he has the, the picture of the angel there saying it's time to release healing, and then the next thing you know, the words of knowledge start popping, and people start getting instantly healed just in the service last week. And so I'm saying, Lord, I, I want to see an angel. Uh, you know, I want to see you, Jesus, of course, first, but I'll take an angel, and uh, that would be very cool. But I believe we're going to have more and more angelic encounters. I believe more and more of us are going to see angels and see the realm of heaven and the heavenlies. And and the reason why is I believe the Lord is... I. I I believe the Lord is moving by his spirit right now uh, in the earth and in our city. And I think he's gradually increasing the level of, of, of the uh, move of the spirit. I'm, been, I'm accustomed to seeing, or, or uh, as it relates to a move of, the, move of the spirit of God, a revival, I'm accustomed to something popping, and then it's just totally on from that moment forward. But I feel like what the Lord's doing right now is I feel like he's easing us in. He's slowly but surely easing us in into something that I think is going to be uh, extensive. And uh, in this particular wave we're in right now of the, of the moving of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, I like to hear that. I, I, hearing that increases my faith. It increases my faith for the activity of the realm of the supernatural to be released. And so that's a good thing. I want to um, speak this morning about stewarding the move of the Spirit of God how to steward the move of the Spirit of God. I feel like that um, it would be helpful for us to have a little bit of um, instruction and, 
on, on what it looks like when God's Spirit comes in a powerful way, and then the responsibility that we have, uh, not just leadership, but we have as a body, to steward rightly the grace of God. And, and the Bible's clear about that. So I want you to turn over with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. <clears throat> we'll read a verse or two. But it's clear that we have a responsibility to steward the grace of God that's given to us. He actually makes us stewards of the grace of God. That's an interesting thought. He actually gives us the grace and then puts us in charge of how we handle it. That's what a steward does. Now it's his grace, but the steward manages that which is given to him by another. And so the Lord calls on us to steward the grace of God. And, uh, and that's what 1 Peter 4 says, and I'm going to read that in a minute. And I've been thinking about, you know, the move of the Spirit of God in revivals, historic revivals. I'm a, a little bit of a student of revival. And, you know, one thing you hear customarily as it relates to any kind of revival, uh, you'll many, many times you'll hear this, that the reason that the revival stops is because uh, men get in the way. They begin to control or uh, do things that uh, the Lord wasn't wanting. And, and you know, I, I believe that's part of it. I believe that many times the reason why the move of the Spirit of God stops, or revival stops, uh, is because men have gotten in the way in the past. And, uh, but I also think it could be this, that uh, sometimes the reason why the move of the Spirit of God stops is because men haven't gotten in the way. In other words, they've just sort of let it all go and they haven't been stewards, rightly stewarding the grace of God given to them. And I think there's a responsibility that, that uh, people have in partnering with God as it relates to the move of the Spirit of God. And so there's handling and mishandling uh, as it relates to revival. And God wants us uh, to be a people who are cued in that when he moves, that we actually have a responsibility in that, and it's not just, you know, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's moving, wow, let's just have a free-for-all and God will do whatever. He partners with humankind. He sets it up that way. He's the one that actually legislates human authorities. I mean, he's the one that sets that up. And so he actually gives us the honor and the privilege to, to be a steward. And so let's look at this in First Peter 4, verse 10. It says, as each one has received a gift... Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So just a couple points about these verses. Uh, first, we're given gifts in order to minister them to others. You know, the, uh, the person that's gifted, many times we think, wow, oh, they're, so, they're so amazing. They're so anointed with their singing or their preaching or whatever it is they do. And we think that that has something to do with their own personal spirituality. But the truth of the matter is this. Many, and I've done this myself, many ministers, many singers, whatever they are, gifted uh, ministers, they will stand before audiences under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and minister the gift that God's given them under the anointing, and, and they, in their own heart, are dry and uh, detached from the Lord. 
Public anointing has, does not necessarily equal private fire. Because the gift that God gives someone is for someone else. It's not a badge of spirituality. God gives you a gift to minister it to someone else. And that's why gifts are even given. And so uh, when we get the, the gift, when, we, when we're someone that has a gift, we minister that thing uh, in God's grace. And, and there's many different forms that the gift, uh, the grace of God, I, I should say, can manifest. I mean, God's grace manifests in so many different ways. And gifts vary in so many different kinds of ways. I don't even think the Bible gives us the exhaustive list of the kind of gifts that God gives to people to minister. But certainly, when there's a move of the Spirit of God, that is a gift of grace. And God gives those, uh, those moves of His Spirit in certain areas and regions, and, and sometimes they're national, sometimes they're international, but He gives them as a gift of grace. It's by the Spirit of God and by the grace of God. And so when we do this, when we minister the grace of God faithfully, that's called being a good steward of God's grace. And He calls us to be good stewards. He calls us to actually manage that which he has given us. He calls us to do that even with the move of the Spirit, even with revival. And so those people that have experienced revival, and I don't just always point to the the leaders of the community, and I think the leaders do have a responsibility that's different than the entire community, but I think the whole community has a responsibility. But those communities where the Holy Spirit has come and rested there is this, um, there's this stewardship that the Lord gives those communities in the grace of God to manage and administer that which is God, but that which he has given into those communities. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? And so I want to I kind of think about this. And, and this verse is pretty clear. It says that we have a responsibility in how we minister. And it's, the responsibility is to rely on God's grace. And so he says it this way. If your gift is speaking... Do it as the oracles of God. Now think about that for a minute. As the oracles of God. If your gift is to proclaim, you're supposed to proclaim as a voice, as a mouthpiece, as a prophetic voice from heaven. Well, that right there is a massively disqualifying statement. Because no human can stand and become a mouthpiece for God in and of himself. You know, it's not kind of like you just have a little speaking gift and you get up here and just sort of wing it, and now you're an oracle of heaven. Do you know what I'm saying? To speak and administer that gift of speaking or proclamation or preaching or teaching or whatever it is, as an oracle of God, automatically you're disqualified because the only way you can be an oracle of God is if God gives you the terminology to say. Does that make sense? And so those that would speak, to speak as an oracle of God, they've got to come to the place where they go, okay, I can't do this unless you fill my mouth. I can't speak, I can't become an oracle unless you give me the terms to say, unless you give me the message. And the only way that the the person that's gifted with speaking becomes an oracle is by the grace of God. And that's what he's trying to do to us. That's what Peter's trying to do to us. He's trying to take us to the place where he goes, I want you to steward the gift of God. And so then if you speak, do it like one that's actually speaking the very words that God would speak. Well, the only way that happens is by God's grace. 
And then he goes, and if your gift is serving, and, and New King James says ministry, but he's talking about the, the, the person as a, a, a servant's gift. He goes, if your gift is serving, do it by the ability which God supplies. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about how a lot of times people that are gifted in serving, many times they're sort of mad that other people aren't serving as hardcore as they're serving. And a lot of times they're tired out and they're worn out and their gift is service and they've been worn out, worn out in their gift. And the thing about it is they're serving in their own strength and not by the strength which God supplies. And that's why they're mad about it. Because if they were serving not in their own strength but in the strength, with God, the strength which God supplies, they'd be soaring in their serving rather than being agitated and mad in their serving. And so what Peter's trying to do is this. He's trying to take us out of having uh, the ability in ourselves, and he's pushing it over into this. He goes, if you're going to speak, be an oracle of God, like as high level as you can get. So there's no way any human can do that, so it's got to be by God's grace. He goes, if your gift is serving, he goes, do it by grace only, by the ability which God supplies. And he goes, and this is the reason why, that he would be glorified. That in all things, God would be glorified through Jesus Christ. And if we'll allow grace to enable us, if we'll allow grace to motivate us, if we'll allow the ability of heaven to move through us, it takes all the praise off of us, it takes all the striving off of us, and it causes every eye and every finger to point to Jesus because you know we're jars of clay, we're earthen vessels, that hold the surpassing greatness of the glory of the Lord, the Spirit of God within, within earthen vessels. And that's the whole point. He gives, he gives supernatural stuff to ridiculously broken people so that the glory wouldn't be towards men, but it would be towards God. And so a move of the Spirit of God comes in, a, in an environment, in a community of people. That community of people, they're no cooler than the next community, I promise you. They didn't, you know what I'm saying? You know, we always try to look for the formula. Well, what, what did they do? Well, they prayed for two years. Well, they fasted every Sunday. Well, they da-da-da-da-da. I tell you what, it's a gift of the grace of God. There is a sovereign aspect to the move of the Spirit of God that cannot be duplicated. You cannot fabricate it. You can't get the one, two, three, four, fives of revival. Listen, if you preach repentance, fasting, prayer, worship, and you know, whatever, and do your five points, I promise you, it doesn't equal that you'll go into revival. There is a sovereign element. Now, doing those five things is good. It'll help position you that if God begins to move, your heart can be in a tender spot. But there is a sovereign element when God's spirit moves that nobody can make happen. Why does God choose the places he chooses? Who knows? He chooses them. You know, in Toronto, he chooses a little church of 120 people that's right there in a small building. It won't accommodate anything. It seats 200 people in 1994. He breaks out with the, uh, the move of the Spirit there. They're not ready with anything. They're not ready to handle the crowds. They're not ready to handle the altar calls. They're not, they don't have all these ministry teams and everything. You know, we kind of have this mentality, well, you got to get yourself ready, and then God will move. Well, God goes, no, I don't really... I mean, that's good. I think it's good to be ready. But there's this whole piece to God where he goes, I just kind of do it the way I like to do it. I have 15 reasons for doing things that you don't get. He goes, and I like to do all 15 of them all at the same time. He goes, that way the sufficiency is of me. 
Can you imagine if we actually had the five points to revival that actually worked? Then revival could be pointed to as a product of what man can produce and not God. And then would it truly be a move of the Spirit of God or would it be an activity of humankind? And so Peter, what he's doing to us right here is he's taking all the ability and he's saying this thing has to happen by God's grace. Now, your responsibility in that is to steward God's grace. It happens because God decides and then you have a responsibility to steward properly that which God gives you. So there's this both and, there's this conjunction of humankind working with God. Now the other night, we, uh, we had this, this thing happening in our service and uh, I explained it last week and it was two Sundays ago and it, the power of God broke loose uh, and, I, and I've been in services like this before, but always in a time where God had come down and, and stayed resident for a while. And, and I watched 50 to 75 people just under the, the presence of the Lord in a deep way. And uh, as is the case, when the Holy Spirit begins to move, you have fire, and then you got a little wildfire, you got a little flesh, you got all sorts of stuff. And, uh, and you know, it just happens. And I remember being like, oh, this is so good, this is so good. What is that right there? What's that guy doing? And, uh, and the Lord just, you know, he just began to speak to me. He said, you know, you don't, and he just said it so kindly, kind of like, you don't really realize how critical you really are. I go, yeah, I don't, do I? And he just said, son, there's always a more excellent way. There's always a more excellent way. And what I thought and what I received from what he was saying to me is this, that when the Holy Spirit moves and the power of God is manifest, not only do we not know what to do, it's kind of like if you stuck your finger into the socket there and you got 220 running through your body, you wouldn't just go, oh, wow, praise the Lord. I feel that. Praise God. Does everybody else feel that? Because I feel anointed right now. You go, wow, you know, you go flying across the room. You wouldn't be too cool. And, uh, and so there, there's all sorts of different ways people will manifest different stuff. And, and, and sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it's God. Sometimes it's, it's God plus. You know, sometimes it's the devil getting blown out of people. But I felt like the Lord was just saying this to me. He said, you know, there's always a more excellent way to administer things, to, to move by the Spirit of the Lord. And he goes, just don't be so critical. Don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to be the Holy Spirit cowboy guy with the white hat you know, coming in to shoot everybody that doesn't do it excellently. And I said, right. Right. And, uh, you know, that's what, the, that's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12. It said, um, earnestly desire the best gifts. Talking about spiritual gifts. And he says, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. The more excellent way is always deferring to love. It's always deferring to love. And he goes into the 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. You know, and it goes on from there. And, and, and the point of it is this, that, you know what, when God begins to move by his spirit, who knows, you know, there's all sorts of things that will tweak us in different ways. There's all sorts of things. You know, God might just put that person that does, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, thing, and then they do a little bit extra. They might, he might just land that person right next to, sit right next to you. You know, maybe they've got the Holy Spirit elbow jerk, and maybe it's hitting you in the, in the ribs or the... And, you know, maybe you're like, hey, bro, could you just, like, aim the elbow somewhere else? No problem. And they hit you again. And you just go, like, okay, can you stop with that for real? 
And maybe the Lord lands that guy right next to you just to deal with you a little bit. There's always a more excellent way. You know what I'm saying? And love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers. And I just, you know, I just found myself when God's sitting there moving in power and I start going, it was okay when they were, you know, laughing and falling, but that guy's rolling. Oh, I don't know about the rolling. And it's just like, who said, you know, who gives the threshold? And so we, here's what we have to do with discernment. We have to ask the Lord to let our hearts come alive in love, defer always to love, and then get discernment from the Lord on how to steward this stuff and how to give leadership where leadership is necessary, how to let it go when it needs to just let it go. And, uh, and, the, and so the bottom line is this, that um, you know, I don't think God calls us to a ministry of criticism or being critical. I don't think that's the point. Um, but I think he also wants us to steward stuff and realize when stuff isn't done well that, hey, there's probably a better way we could do it. There's a more excellent way. It's by love, and it's for the edification of others, and it's a blessing and a benefit. And, and so the point is this. There's always room. There's always room for us to operate more in love. There's always room for us to operate more in wisdom. There's always room for us to, to operate more by the Spirit of God, to operate more in meekness. And God uses the move of the Spirit of God to bring us to humility. He uses it to humble us. Now flip over to Philippians chapter 1. I think people miss that point a lot. They, they, I think they think that the move of the Spirit is about God trying to make you cool. Or make you a superstar guy. But I promise you, God's desire to move by his spirit is about glorifying one person, Jesus only. It's only about glorifying his son. It's not about glorifying any minister. <clears throat> now look at Philippians 1, verse 9. This is a, one of the apostolic prayers that we pray all the time. It says, In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. Let's just read that again. This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense until the day of Christ. So I'm seeing three things there. He says, let your love abound. Let your love abound. He says, in all discernment, and approve the things which are excellent. Let your love abound in all discernment and approve the things which are excellent. So I want to look at this for a minute. That our love would abound. That our love would abound. How does our love abound in the midst of stuff going wild by the Spirit of the Lord? How do we get to that place where we're really abounding in love in the midst of the move of the Spirit of God? And I believe it's this. I believe that one of the key things is that we choose to be gracious with others' weaknesses when the Holy Spirit begins to move, knowing that we ourselves have weaknesses. 
knowing that we ourselves don't have the corner on the market on how things are supposed to go, if anybody knows all the ways of the Spirit of God, just write the definitive manual for the rest of us because we don't know all the ways of the Spirit of God. In fact, no human really does. And so there's this place where when God's moving with power, letting love abound equals this. That we just, when we see things that aren't done excellently, when we see things that are, that are weaknesses in human, in, in human stuff, we handle it with graciousness. We don't handle it with a critical heart. We handle it with, with, with a gracious heart. And if we see, you know, weaknesses in people's doctrine or their, their ministry style, you know, there's no scripture that mandates us to be the one to, to just nail that thing. You know, and I found that in myself, that when I see something that doesn't go by my flow, I, you know, I'll be like, huh, well, if they would have done it this way, this way, and this way, then I would have really, I would have enjoyed it. But they didn't do it that way, and so, mm, you know, and, and then I have a bad attitude because it didn't go the way that I, that I flow. And I want to say this, I, I quite love our, our platform ministry style. We tend to, here's what we tend to do. We try to keep it um, pretty tame on the platform, so that when the thing begins to blow up in the room, when people begin to get moved on by the Holy Spirit, it's not because we've tried to hype them up into it. It's because the Holy Spirit has authentically begun to move on people. And so we just kind of keep it mellow up here. If somebody gets really um, moved on, the best they can, we ask them to just go ahead and take it off the platform and go into a side, side area and just enjoy the Lord. And so we say, well, that's kind of controlling, isn't it? Well, well, no, we're not controlling the spirit of the Lord. We want the Lord to move on whoever he wants to move on, but we want to set a um, pace from the platform that allows liberty at whatever level. And that means you're liberated to sit down and experience the Lord however you want, or you're liberated to spin like a top, you know, whatever you want to do, swing from the chandeliers by the spirit of the Lord. But we don't want to put the pressure on from the platform that this is how you have to respond. And so that's kind of our flow. But you know what? When we get in another environment where maybe they're not flowing the way that we flow, you know, I find it in myself. I go, well, they're just a little bit, you know, kind of drumming it up up there a little bit, a little hamburger helper, if you don't mind. And you know what? That's not being gracious. I need to let my love abound, don't I? I need to just be gracious with the differences and ministry style and doctrine and just, just allow the Lord to work it all out. It's important that we cover the non-essential issues with love. If it's a non-essential thing, we just cover it with love and allow the Lord to sort it out. The Lord allows that. The Lord uses guys that eat bugs and honey and wear skins of camels to do dramatic stuff for the kingdom of God. He does that on purpose. So people look at the exterior and they go, ooh, what is the deal? He does that to offend the mind, to reveal the heart. And I, you know, when I found myself teeter-tottering on that place of criticism, I go, oh God, I don't, I don't want to enter into that place. You know, in 1 Peter 4, verse 8, Peter said, have fervent love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Corinthians 14, 20 says, in malice be babes. In malice be babes. And I, um, you know, that's just a word of warning to us that would love to take the, uh, the ministry of correcting everybody that's wrong and make that their full-time job. Because he says, in malice, be babes. And, and that's, man, you know, 
That's just, that's instructing my heart. In, in terms of, in being malicious, be a babe. He goes, in, in knowledge and understanding and discernment, he goes, I'd have you to be not childish, but in malice, in criticism, he goes, be babes. You know, what I realize is this, is that sometimes we can get to that place where we forget, you know, Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, because they'll receive mercy. They receive mercy when we're merciful with others' weaknesses. And that's where I want to be. And when the Holy Spirit is moving and things are going on and there's God stuff, there's God plus, you know, a little extra flesh or whatever, I want to be in that place where my heart is abounding in love. I'm seeking for the excellent thing, the most excellent way. I'm operating in discernment, but I'm being merciful with the stuff that I don't esteem as excellent. Does that make sense? And not getting on my own little criticism or malicious mentality and and writing that into the ground. I think this, it's, it's basically like this. We've got to discern when God is acting and moving by His Spirit, and simultaneously, we have to graciously discern the things that are not excellent. We have to discern the move of the Spirit of God, and in the midst of that, simultaneously discern the stuff that's not for the edification of everyone, and it's, it's not uh, the stuff that's excellent. But as I said earlier, we're not mandated to point out Everybody's flaw that we see. So that's letting love abound. And then he says, in all discernment, in all discernment. And like I said a moment ago, we need to think about and ask the Lord, what are the important issues? What are the essential issues and what are the non-essential issues? You know, if the guy's got a little bit of an extra kind of a twitch going, and we go, huh, he's twitching a little bit much, it's probably a non-essential. You know, if he's preaching that the blood of Jesus doesn't cover sin, that's probably an essential. You see what I'm saying? And we need, to, we need to look at this thing and figure out, okay, by the Spirit of the Lord, what is the most important issues and what are the least important issues and then allow the Holy Spirit to direct us in the middle of a move of the Spirit of God so that we don't end up doing what the Pharisees did. Jesus rebuked them for doing this. He said, you strain out a gnat, yet the entire time you're swallowing a camel. Just looking at that verse... What is he saying? He goes, you're nitpicking the smallest minute detail, yet you're swallowing wholeheartedly things that are big issues that you don't need to be swallowing. He said, essentially, you're majoring on the minors and you're minoring on the majors. You don't know the most important things and you're neglecting those things. Meanwhile, you are focusing on the tiniest little detail and having big problems with that. I have a friend, he says it this way. He says, you know, some people... You know, he goes, every dog has fleas. He goes, and some people can't see the dog because of the fleas. He goes, some people can't see the fleas because of the dog. He goes, the point is, we need to know that this dog, it's a dog, but it has fleas. And he's likening it to the move of the Spirit of God. He's saying, you know, we have the move of the Spirit of God. He goes, of course there's going to be a few little things here and there that have got to get better. What we need to not do is go, look at all those fleas, and totally miss the fact that God's moving. Meanwhile, we shouldn't sit there and look at God moving and go, God's moving. There couldn't be any fleas. No, I promise you, if God's moving, there are fleas. Another one of my friends said it this way. He said, the same light that God releases that uh, moves in power and drives out demons is the same light that attracts bugs. It's the same light. 
And so when you have something authentic by the Spirit of the Lord, it will automatically bring strange stuff. Automatically. And so we're not, you know, we don't, um, we're not excused from being discerning. But there's this, there's this interesting thing, this dichotomy that the Lord calls us to. In Luke 10, you don't have to turn there, I'll just explain to you what's going on. Jesus sends out the 70. They move in power. Jesus comment, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Who has ever had a ministry campaign where heaven's commentary was, I saw Satan fall like lightning. He said, you guys were breaking down the strongholds over those cities and regions where you went. He goes, I saw him falling so fast and so powerfully. And they, were, they said, you know, the, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking. He said, even the demons are subject to us in your name, Jesus. He said, yeah, I saw Satan falling like lightning. He goes, you guys were moving in the power of God. He goes, nevertheless, rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Don't rejoice just because the demons are subject to you. He goes, don't just rejoice over the miracle of the grace of God that's been given and the power of God that's been released. He goes, rejoice over this, that your names are written in heaven, that, that eternal salvation is yours, that you have an abiding gift that's far greater than any manifestation you see in the earth. And then Jesus, the Bible says this, he turns and he rejoices greatly in the spirit. And I heard it said, you know, for Jesus to rejoice greatly in the spirit, it's probably the clearest picture we have of Jesus getting hit by the Holy, Holy Spirit in the, in the scriptures. Rejoicing greatly means you're jumping up and down and shouting. We could all just begin to rejoice. If I said, hey, let's just all rejoice. We could all begin to rejoice. We jump up and down and shout. But it says Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Spirit or by the Spirit of God. He was moved on by the Spirit of God and it caused him to, who knows what he did? Jumped up and down, shouted, clapped, I don't know. He did something. And then he says this, God, Father, I thank you that you've hidden this thing from the wise and you've revealed it to the babes. I appreciate the fact that you haven't chosen just the worldly wise to move in the things of God, but you've actually given it to those that just received the kingdom by faith like children. You know what that tells me? That tells me this, that if we're gonna receive the move of the Spirit of God, we've got to receive it by faith as children. There's gonna be some things that we just have to take by faith just like a child would. We just receive what the Lord's doing. We don't know why that person's on the floor laughing for an hour and a half. It seems good to God, so it's gotta seem good to us. You know, all the while saying, Holy Spirit, teach us. But we receive it as, chi- as a child. There's some stuff you're gonna be with the kids on. You're just not gonna know every little thing. But at the same time, at the same time, in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, do not be children in understanding or in discernment. And malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. So he's got this dichotomy. He's wanting us to grow in discernment all the while receiving things by faith as a child. It's an interesting road to hoe. It's an interesting road to walk as it comes to the move of the Spirit of God. He calls us to discernment, but also calls us to childlike faith. And so we look at the lesser issues. We graciously bear with them. And I think a mistake that a lot of, a lot of times we make is this. When we see somebody that has a certain ministry style, <clears throat> all of a sudden we think if we emulate the style, then we'll, we'll have the same anointing. I remember one time I was uh, ministering when I was a youth pastor, and I saw Steve Hill, who was the main evangelist at Brownsville, and uh, 
he was, when he was laying hands on people, he seemed to be poking them a little bit. He's poking them in the forehead. And they were falling. And so I remember, you know, I was about 26. How old was I? Let's see. Yeah, about 26, 27. And uh, I remember uh, going into my youth service that night. I remember saying, man, that was powerful. He's poking them and they were falling out. So I went and I laid hands on a few people like that. I went, poof. <laughs> I'll never forget it. I laid hands on a couple of my leaders. I went, poof, just like that. I went, ow. And they actually said, did you cut me with your fingernail? No, I didn't cut you. Did I, did I poke you? What I realized is this. Everybody's got their own flow, their own personal wiring, their own style before the Lord. God gives that to them. Some of the stuff we get just by being around others. You know, if I'm around you a lot, I'll end up talking like you, sounding like you. Um, you know, but we, we all have our own styles. We make a mistake, though, a lot of times. We think, well, you know, if, uh, if, I, sh- if I minister a certain way, then it'll be anointed. Or if I'm really getting touched, then I've got to act a certain way. And, and that's, that's, not, that's, just, you know, that's just a little immaturity is what that is. And so what we do is we graciously discern the things that are ec- excellent, and we understand that we don't have to uh, imitate the ministry style or whatever of others in order to be anointed. And the way, it, the way it plays out is this. Operating in discernment, in all discernment, it's this. We're not to be overly cautious in our desire to walk in wisdom, but at the same time, we're not to be overly receptive in our desire to move by the Spirit. So we're always you know, testing all things, holding fast to what is good. That was Paul's admonition to the Thessalonians as related to prophecy. He goes, test all things, hold fast to what is good. He goes, don't despise the move of the Spirit. And that's the position we ought to take. And then finally, he says, approve the things that are excellent. And here's, here's how it boils down to for me. I, I think people, when there's a move of the Spirit of God, they either assess it as everything is right or everything is wrong. And it's just not that way. In every move of the Spirit, there's stuff that's good and there's stuff that's goofy. It's just how it is. And the reason why is because there is no person that has the corner on the market on how to move by the Spirit of God in perfection. And so there's stuff that's good and there's stuff that's not so good. And and we're to discern those things and approve the things that are excellent. You know, certain times people will think, well, you're, you're irresponsible for allowing, you know, that and that and that to happen. And at the same time, one person is saying you're being irresponsible. There'll be another person on the other side saying you're being too controlling and you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to have liberty. And, and this is just the tension that we're in when it comes to dealing with and facilitating a move of the Spirit. When God's Spirit moves, it's messy, it's challenging, it keeps us all humble. We get in this place of not necessarily knowing. We have to rely on God's grace and try in faithfulness to be good stewards. That's how we have to do it. We have to prove that which is excellent, abound in love, and try to operate in discernment. You know, I don't know everything there is to know. I, I tell you what, this issue of revival is so tender to my heart that, oh, I just... One of my things that just, I mean, inside me, just, I just go, oh, is I, I, will, I will probably go <clears throat> way over this direction um, 
before I call something revival. You know, putting the sign out front and calling it revival, I, would, I mean, I just, it's just not my paradigm. To me, revival is when God's divine personality comes and he takes ownership of a place. And it really, I, I mean, I've been in revival environments and it really doesn't matter who ministers. You know, it's not necessarily about a man. It's about God has come in the place and he's taken ownership of the entire thing. And it's, there's one person getting glorified, it's Jesus. Jesus gets magnified. And so I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, in my heart, I've got this, oh, I want it so bad, but oh, I don't want to, you know, cry wolf on the thing. I don't want to say we have a, a that when it's only a this. You know, this is that. That's what Peter said on the day of Pentecost. Um, it's important, this, you know, we can quench the Spirit, sure, by controlling things too much, but we can also quench the Spirit by allowing things too much. Allowing too much fleshly stuff going on, that can quench the Holy Spirit too. So we've got to be good stewards. Got to be good stewards. I think ultimately approving that which is excellent is about, see- about seeking for the greatest edification of the body. 1 Corinthians 14 it says this in verse 12. Since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, you could just say it this way. Since you're zealous for a move of the Spirit, for revival, since you're zealous for that, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Let it be for the edification of everybody that you're, you're going after this thing. And so you have others uh, in mind and, and you're operating in love. In Philippians 1.10, just the verse that we just read, when we, when we approve the things that are excellent, it says that you may be sincere and without offense at the day of Christ. This is what I realize. If we abound in love, we operate in discernment, we approve that which is excellent, the result is many will become sincere believers whose hearts will be without offense all the way until the day the Lord returns. See, I've seen it. I've been in the move of the Spirit where many got saved and touched and changed, and then you find out just a year later, a bunch of those that were walking with the Lord, they're not walking with the Lord anymore. And I think that has to do with how we administer it. I think it has to do with how we steward it. Because he says, if you'll abound in love, in all discernment, and and you'll prove that which is excellent, you'll be sincere and without offense. I think there's this thing that God wants to move with the Spirit that causes sincerity in believers all the way to the day of Christ. You know, Charles Finney had a powerful revival ministry. Now, people don't understand this about Charles Finney, but his systematic theology was uh, basically heretical. He taught that you didn't have to be converted, that your spirit didn't have to be converted, that the mind could be talked into living righteously. His, he got his ideas from a, uh, a Roman guy named Pelagius. And, um, but he's probably one of the greatest revivalists that ever lived. And, you know, in the conversion ratio of, of, their, uh, of, of his meetings, something like 80 to 90% of the people that got converted in his meetings stayed with the Lord years and years later. See, that's what I think when you get somebody that's sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. He may not have had everything right, but I think he was um, stewarding rightly the grace of God that had been given to him with all discernment abounding in love, approving that which was excellent. And he, was, he was seeing the results uh, 
that there were many that were sincere believers uh, that, that stayed that way for a long, long time. Now, see, it's important that we get these thoughts in mind, and I want to I kind of wrap this, I want to land this with thinking about the biblical pattern of what happens when we have a move of the Spirit. And here's the deal. I think that there is a massive, massive amount of spiritual fantasy on us as it relates to revival and, the, and moving, the moving of the Holy Spirit. I think we think it's something different than what it is. I think we don't know what God's uh, bigger plan purposes are in the move of the Spirit. But there's, there's three basic points that I see biblically that happens when God moves by His Spirit. Um, the first is this. The ministries that God moves through, they become lesser. Biblically. You know, what we see a lot is that when God is moving by His Spirit and through ministries in our day, those ministries become great. But biblically, what we see is when God moves by His Spirit, <clears throat> those ministries become lesser. Consider John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he goes, I must become less. He must become greater. John the Baptist ends up getting beheaded. He doesn't end up with, you know, a global ministry, you know, because he had a move of the Spirit that one time he prophesied when God was going to come. I mean, that would be, if you got that one prophetic word right, that would be enough to launch you into a book tour and everything. You know, just tell your story in the book and publish it and you can go all around the world how I prophesied and God came. But instead, John the Baptist his whole mentality as one that's preparing the way is, I am going to decrease. I am going to become less, and he's going to become more. And when the Spirit of God moves through ministries in the earth today, I believe this is supposed to be the, the banner that they're supposed to wear. If God moves in a big way through us, I guarantee you it's going to be unto our undoing. It's going to be unto our um, humbling. It's going to be unto us making us lesser. Somebody said, well, Billy, if, if God moves in a powerful way, don't you think a lot more people will come? Well, yeah, maybe a lot more people will come, but I tell you, more people does not equal ministry success. More people probably equals 10 times more problems. You know, we just had a, uh, we got a prophetic dream just recently, and we were stuck in Target. We couldn't get out of the Target. Well, Target is a play on words. Because when the Holy Spirit moves, you become the target. God doesn't mind using the devil, using religious people, using good Christians. He doesn't mind using anybody to break you down and to humble you. Consider Paul the Apostle. Probably the greatest apostolic ministry the earth has ever seen besides the Lord Jesus. Paul the Apostle writes two-thirds of the New Testament. He goes, I have become the dregs of all things. I'm the offscoring. I am the dregs of everything. He goes, I'm homeless. Many times I'm naked. I don't have the right food. He broke it open. The entire uh, first century uh, conquest of the gospel is many times credited to, to Paul the apostle. He breaks it open in Ephesus, which had the, the epicenter of demon worship in the temple of Diana. That thing goes away in one generation as a result of Paul's preaching there. Yet, he says, I have become the dregs of all things. 
I guarantee you, when God moves by his spirit, it is going to cost the ministries that he moves through, it's going to cost them their coolness. It is. He's going to humble us. Beloved, you, you might think, yeah, we want God to move at IHOP. I promise you, he will put a stigma on us. We'll finally make the bloggers. We'll make them. We'll make the blogs. And they'll be writing about us in ways that you won't like. And that's God's plan to humble us. Every man historically, every ministry historically that had the power of God's spirit moving through them, they carried a stigma, a negative stigma with the power. The power didn't make them great. The power brought them challenges and problems. And God loves to do that to his friends because he doesn't like to lose them to haughtiness and arrogance. So he gives them power and he gives them uh, problems as the insurance policy. He gives problems as the insurance policy to keep them from exalting themselves above measure. Remember Paul? He goes, I've got this thorn in my flesh. He goes, I'm trying to get rid of it. The Lord, I asked him three times. God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you in the middle of that problem. And so the first thing in in a move of the Spirit of God is that God will make the ministries lesser. He will cause them to decrease. Secondly, the church becomes edified. The water level goes up in the the church. The ministries, uh, they they become humiliated, humbled, and the church overall becomes edified and blessed. 2 Corinthians 4.12, Paul said this, he goes, death is working in me, but it's equaling life for you. Death is working in me, but you, life is working in. He says this in verse 15 of of chapter 4. He says, all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. And so it's all for the sake of the body global. He He wants more voluntary lovers to be more abandoned to the Lord Jesus in mass. He wants a greater number of people falling headlong in love with Jesus. And that's why he's moving by his spirit. And then it's ultimately this, the third, the third point is this. Jesus Christ will be glorified, highly exalted. Man will be humbled. The church will benefit and be edified, but ultimately it's for the glory of Jesus. And I'm just think, sitting there thinking about this, that this, this fantasy that we operate in a lot of times is that we think that God wants to send us revival so we'll get a few more people to come to our meetings. I promise you that's not why he's doing it. Now, he is sweeping in people by the Spirit. He wants, for sure, people to get born again and and releasing deliverance and healing and salvation and mass. All of the same, all while he's doing that, his whole point is this, that Jesus Christ alone would be glorified. He is holy. No flesh will glory in his presence. He is holy. The Father has chosen this, that Jesus alone would sit as king of the universe. And whatever the move of the Spirit is in our day, whatever it is, it's ultimately under this purpose that Christ alone would be glorified and magnified. Not a personality, not an individual, not a ministry. You know, and what God will do is this. He'll make us, you know, interesting for a minute. Draw a bunch of people in. 
And then he'll allow the stigma to come and the accusations to come. You know, more people does not equal uh, ease. More power does not equal ease. It equals challenges. I, I, see, I hope that we get out of that spiritual fantasy zone. For years, I lived there. And I remember the Lord checking me over and over and over about my desire for revival. You say, so why do you want revival again? More people, God. They'll all get saved. Why do you want more people? For years, I had to come down to this. I wanted revival. Yes, I wanted people to get saved. Yes, I wanted Jesus to be glorified. But I wanted revival because I wanted to be a little cooler than I was. And I'm coming to grips with this. He's not going to give us revival to make us cool. He's going to give us revival to ultimately glorify the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ and him alone. He's going to bring meekness to us. It, it will be a challenge to steward. Beloved, it will be hard. It will be difficult. We'll need the grace of God in a great way. Alan Hood, he had a word for me uh, when he was in town. He said, I see you as a green olive tree. And he, and he gave me the, the verse out of Psalms. And uh, I, I, he didn't say it that way. He said, I see you as an olive tree. And I said, oh, that's great. That's an anointed vessel, an olive tree. Praise God. And I went and looked up the verse, and it says, I am a green olive tree. I trust in mercy. I went, that's, that's not really what he said exactly. But he told me that for sure the Lord gave him that verse to give to me. I went, a green olive tree? That's an immature little guy olive tree. That's not the anointed vessel. That's the like hope to be one day, like the wannabe little guy. And I, and I went, and trust in mercy, that's, that makes it sound like I can't do anything. Like I just need mercy all the time. I mean, really, I was sitting here having a problem with the verse. I was going, that's, because uh, th- when he said it to me, because you're like an anointed olive tree, and your children are like little olive treelets, and you're just, oh. So I went, I went, and I saw it, yeah, I'm anointed. And I went and opened the verse, and I read it, and I go, that's not what this verse says. This verse says, I'm a green, inexperienced, young, tender, don't get it, little guy, olive tree. And I trust in mercy only. Only mercy is what's going to cause this to work. God's mercy. And if David could say that after he'd slayed Goliath, if David could say that after he'd led the army, if David could say that after he'd been anointed by Samuel, if David could say that, you know, he was, on his, he was on the way up, but he had plenty more conquests. He had plenty of trophies to look at, but he had plenty of conquests. If David could say, King David, if he could say that, I was going, oh God, I'm so arrogant that I would have a problem being a green olive tree. A green olive tree, that's not a bad place to be because we have to trust in mercy. We just trust in mercy. Everything he does, he does it by grace, for grace, for the glory of the name of his son. So as we're trying to discern the move of the Spirit, as we're trying to be good stewards, just apply our hearts to grace, apply our hearts to love, understand he's going to work meekness in us. You know, I love it when he takes the guy. We had one of our guys the other day. He goes, you know, I'm not really one that, you know, I just don't really laugh in the Spirit very much. And he was standing there. 
And I'm looking at him. He goes, yeah, I'm just not wired like that. And he goes, <laughs> I go, uh-huh. And he starts laughing uncontrollably. And I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking, boy, the Lord just in an instant decided to, to take, you know, the foolish things and confound him. Because I'm not really, you know, I don't move that way. You know, you don't have, he goes, he's, he's trying to give, he's trying to give courage to people's hearts that they weren't really feeling anything. And, and I want to give courage to your heart. If you're not feeling anything, great. If you are, great. It, the manifestation isn't the point. But I love how the Lord, he'll, he'll take the valley and he'll exalt it. And he'll take the, hum, he'll take the mountain and he'll humble it. And one of our guys just the other day, he just drops on him with a spirit of laughter, right as he was saying, I don't really laugh. You know, behold, our God is in heaven. He'll do what he pleases. He'll do whatever he pleases. So I love it. These, these days, they're exciting. They'll bring us more into meekness. They'll exalt Jesus more. I believe we'll see a bunch of people get saved. I believe we'll see a bunch of healings. Wasn't that sweet this morning? The presence of the Lord rolled in with the, the manifestation of healing happening. It's just sweet. But I just want to ask the Lord to, I, I, I just really, I want to get before the Lord and say, God, I want to abound in love. I want, with all love, I want to abound in love and have discernment and approve that which is, which is excellent. I want to be gracious when I see weakness, but I want to be discerning of what you're doing. And I want to, I want to choose the excellent way. There's always a more excellent way. To my, you know, the very best, by the grace of God, that's what I want to do. Good, amen. Let's just stand. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love your presence. We love how you move. We love the way you lead. Lord, I pray for Philippians 1, 9, and 10. That it would be ours. Let it be ours. Let it be ours. We would abound in love to all. God, that when we see things that are not excellent, we would handle them with graciousness. We wouldn't be critical. In malice, we would be babes. We'd show mercy. But God, we'd operate in discernment. By the Spirit of the Lord, we'd have discernment. We wouldn't think we have to embrace everything. Give us the discernment to know it's the flesh, to know it's the spirit. But we want to move with you. We want to approve the excellent thing, the excellent way, the more excellent way. We want to approve the excellent way.